Welcome back to another episode of the La Brea Purvea, where we recap and deep dive into the NBC sci-fi adventure drama La Brea. I'm your purveyor, Pete Phillips, and La Brea is kind of on its farewell tour right now, and they've only got six stops to make. It's the end of an era, and probably the end of this podcast, but you don't mope around when you're saying goodbye. You try to live it up for your final moments in the limelight, and the premiere sets the stage for the show to do just that. Season 2's premiere was pretty blah, but it turned everything up in episode 2. It just had to set some things up, so it was a little cumbersome. Maybe we'll get the same treatment in season 3. Before I watched season 3's premiere, I knew two things to expect. First, dinosaurs, and second, less Eve. Also, I knew that no amount of affordable time would allow for a concise previously on La Brea. In a way, they wrapped up two seasons in 90 seconds, which really makes you wonder why you watched the previous two seasons, right? Episode Recap In the opening scene, we see Gavin, Josh, and Izzy waiting for breakfast, made by a body double of Eve. They take great effort to obfuscate her face. Like steam rising from her grilling pancakes, which, if you've ever made pancakes, doesn't happen. Back in reality, Gavin's latest plan is to fix a laptop and power it with a solar panel, because it might tell him where Eve went. Izzy seems to have lost all hope so she leaves her father alone while she carries a big bag of angst with her. I can't believe that Judah is still in this show. (laughs) You gotta be kidding. But I guess somebody has to be the a-hole in the clearing, the one who criticizes Lucas's leadership and brings up the past. And now we are stuck in the history past. Lucas has come a long way from dealing heroin, though, and Veronica is smiling. After he calls everyone to get to work, arming the clearing... He takes two workers away, him and Veronica. He found a mattress, and he's going to take it for himself and Veronica. And Veronica is almost completely different. She's not even sad when she pukes. She's, like, smiling all the time. In the meantime, Scott finds a potato, and he thinks that this will power the laptop. STEM Generation reports that the potato battery is a type of electrochemical battery or cell, Certain metals experience a chemical reaction with the acids inside of a potato. The chemical reaction creates the electrical energy that can power a small device, like an LED light or a clock. Incredible, huh? So, like, not a computer. Still just a potato. Scott goes on to recap his story from the end of Season 2, right before dinosaurs attack the clearing. Really, it kind of just looks like the two dinosaurs are playing with each other, like when dogs get a little too rough, but they're actually just playing. But I'll tell you what, the Peterson Automotive Museum is taking a beating. It crumbles. And that, the most enduring symbol of Los Angeles and the clearing in 10,000 BC, is gone. I'm gonna miss you, pal. Where will everyone live now? There's no cars to sleep in. No supplies? I mean, I guess that's all that was there. But when you have nothing, that is a lot. I think Sam is the only one whose hair grew while he's been away. Lots of others got haircuts. He represents the peace between the Cavalier Levi and the very resentful Gavin. Levi, of course, caused the first portal's destruction and ruined the chances of all of the people going home. So Gavin's feelings are pretty understandable. In a way, I thought they were going to kill Levi in the building explosion, but they didn't. They kept him around. So let's find out why. 
In a move that's exciting for me, Riley admits that she hasn't changed her clothes in a week. And this is exciting because it helps us get an idea for how long they've been in 10,000 BC. Although, when I think about it, it's not really very conclusive. Josh tells her that she's beautiful, she's bashful, and neither admits that even if they were disgusting messes, they would still be bonded through crisis and trauma, so it's no wonder that they don't see anyone else to love but each other. A freaking raptor shows up to ruin the romantic moment that I think I ruined with my commentary there. Sorry about that. And I am single. We keep returning to the vision, or is it a memory, that Gavin had at the beginning of the episode. In the extended version, Josh demonstrates his selfishness by taking pancakes away from Izzy. And to be honest, 10,000 BC hasn't changed him at all. In the meantime, relationship expert Sam counsels Lucas on his relationship troubles, which are noble issues. He's trying to protect his baby mama Veronica from being stressed over his well-being. It's not the best thing to do, you know, he should maybe be honest, but it's not that bad. His heart's in the right place, you know? But Sam immediately shifts away when he sees Josh running at them with a limp Riley in his arms. The raptor got her good. How'd you know those raptors were going to attack? But I hope she doesn't die. She's one of the characters that really hasn't bugged me along the way. Maybe it's because she's always with Josh, so she looks like a gem by comparison. I hate Josh, man. Anyway, they take Riley back to the clearing. And when Izzy and Josh show up at the tent where she is recovering, Izzy holds no punches. Riley's... Unconscious still, but she's stable. Is she going to make it? And this reminds us that Izzy is still a child. She's high school aged, and even though she sometimes seems compassionate in her thoughts, she expresses those thoughts like a truck through a brick wall. Josh goes through an emotional puberty of sorts. He hits the adulthood of a Harris by taking on all of the guilt and responsibility for Riley's injuries. They grow up so fast. If Riley hadn't tried to protect him, then she wouldn't be in the condition she's in. The laptop was left at the clearing, so Gavin's kind of freaking out that he doesn't have the laptop that he thinks might, maybe, possibly, give them some information about where Eve is. But Levi evidently sneaks down to Dinosaur Town, and he picks it up and gives it to Gavin, who is appreciative. But, again, there's not really a charger in 10,000 BC. Oh, wait, I guess I'm the idiot, because Scott hooked up, like, 40 potatoes. And then Petra speaks with wisdom. Do we have to turn the computer on? Well, yeah, if we want to find Eve. What if it signals them? Signals who? Petra admits that she and her mother ran away from the military base because bad people wanted something from them, and Scott is so intrigued. Petra also thinks the computer may signal the bad people when it gets turned on. I'd really like to see the actual connection into the, you know, power port that they did with the potatoes, but we need to suspend our disbelief because that sucker boots up instantly. Not only that, it's got like the lights behind the keys, which is an excellent use of power. No. No, it isn't. The laptop screen says quantum pairing initiated, which makes me think that Petra was right. But they're not sure, so they just let it ride until a chat starts up. In true La Brea fashion, when Gavin asks who is on the other end of the chat, they say, someone who can help you find your wife. How about, like, Kate or Chester? No, we can't have a name. We have to be as cryptic as possible. Oh, not this again. The entity on the other end says that it can see Eve right now, which raises hopes. It even describes her signature outfit to a T, saying that she's wearing a brown jacket and a white shirt. 
because, traveling through time, she cannot find any other clothes. The chat also says to find Sierra, and then the transmission ends. Gavin's got a brand new goal now, and he loves having a mission. Riley wakes up, and honestly, she looks terrible. Most of the color is gone from her face, and despite her explaining how bad her symptoms are, Sam, her father, has hope, which is good. But you'd think that they could have put her on the bed entirely? Her left leg is hanging off of the right side of the bed. It, it doesn't seem medically sound to me. You're not a doctor! Okay, okay, I, I'm not. So Gavin is now going to be obsessed with the idea of Sierra. He thinks it's related to the pancake breakfast flashback he's been having. Which is a really rational conclusion to jump to. Ty reminds us that he is a psychologist. Or a psychiatrist. I can't remember. So, he tries to tease the meaning of Sierra out of Gavin's subconscious. Ty encourages Gavin to talk with Levi about the memory, since Levi is part of the memory. But instead of putting his pride aside and talking to his old friend, he goes to hunt for a red dot that Scott saw on the computer screen. That's a great idea. Veronica is shaken by Riley's incident. If you remember, she was hesitant about having a baby without a hospital in 10,000 BC, with a guy who seems incredibly nonchalant about the whole thing. When he's pressed, Lucas says that everything will be fine, and then he face plants into the floor. I admire Josh McKenzie, the actor who portrays Lucas, and his commitment to the fall. It is truly wonderful to watch. So Josh then comes to check on Riley, and Sam is called away to check on Lucas, so Josh gets to sit with his beloved. Scott, Gavin, Ty, Levi, and Petra go on the hunt for the red dot. Scott insists that the signal should be bouncing from the area that they're in once they get there, but Gavin is so impatient that Ty suggests that they all split up. So Ty and Scott go one way, Petra goes the other way, and Gavin doesn't go anywhere. This seems like the most important thing for him, but instead he takes the search time to have a heart-to-heart -heart with Levi. And when Gavin begins, Levi remembers the breakfast that Gavin is seeing in his visions. It was Izzy's birthday. That's right, Josh is stealing pancakes from his sister on her birthday. Anyway, the memory becomes clearer, and Levi reminds Gavin that at some point he went outside, and when he came back inside, he was very upset. In the memory, he now sees a woman in black standing in front of his house. She's rouged up and cagey. She is named Sierra, and she is trying to drag Gavin back to a program, but he says he's done. She drops her mystery, and, as a show of trust tells Gavin her real name, not Sierra, but Maya Schmidt, a.k.a. Petra's mom, a.k.a. the woman who was interviewing Scott on the day that the hole opened in L.A., a.k.a. the woman who I thought was dead according to last season, but apparently is not. Gavin abandons the search for the transmitter, and he and Levi go looking for Petra because Petra is related to Maya. Petra, who is a kid, is off on her own looking for the transmitter in a dinosaur-ridden lost place in time. Levi finds her, and she gets hit with a blow dart, and then Levi does too. I love this show! This show rules. There's blow darts. Levi drops so slowly. It's comical. And as he passes out, we see what looks like two blurry military guys approach them. Once we're back from commercial, we find that Levi and Petra are gone. Her locket, which she'd never leave behind, is left behind. And a helicopter is flying through the air. And while all of this is compelling, Ty says, you've got to see something somewhere else. So he brings Gavin to an Aurora, a double Aurora. 
So it's possible one of these leads to Eve. Yeah, but we just don't know which one does. Okay, Ty, there are two Auroras, and honestly, they could go anywhere in time. This is not a 50-50 shot at finding Eve. Sam, Josh, and Izzy bring Riley on a stretcher to the Aurora. Maybe there's a hospital on the other side. Maybe there's knights fighting in a field. Maybe there are pilgrims who will think they're witches. What is going on, you guys? You're all drunk on hope. It feels good. Josh picks up Riley in his arms and essentially just walks right into the red Aurora. And Ty gets sucked into the blue one. Back at the camp, Lucas seems to recover and has a heart-to-heart with Veronica about fearing being like his own father. But his dad was a tool, not because he ran away, but because he was going to turn in his own kid for trafficking heroin. They're honest about anxiety and puking, and then they kiss. In the final moments, Ty comes to on a street, being greeted by a gas-guzzling truck driven by a kindly man. Are we in Los Angeles? What kind of questions that? Of course we are. <laughs> Can you tell me what date it is? You're right, friend. <laughs> Please, the, the day and the year. It's September 12, 2021. That's a few weeks before the sinkhole. Unbelievable. What just happened? Now, I'm going to get to Ty, but Ty is going to be a multi-part what just happened. So we're going to start with a couple of simple things here. Levi seems to bear no guilt whatsoever about what he did to get everyone to this point. He's like the guy who won't apologize, but acts like the thing that he has to apologize for never happened. It's so annoying and macho. Aside from losing one of the core faces in the show, why is he still in this show? That's a very good question. As you know, through all the episodes of this podcast, it is historically accurate for me to say that Josh still sucks. Yes, he stepped up to carry Riley into an unknown place in time to get medical help, but if Ty made it to 2021, it makes us think that Josh must have ended up at a way different time. Although, according to the show, 1988 is a way different time, so maybe she will get some medical attention. And I still stand by what I said. Josh taking Riley from her father and into the unknown was not a benevolent move. He selfishly wanted to save her so he doesn't lose her. And if they land in 1964 and she's cured, but they're stuck there, he won't be upset. And he'll think that they can just start a new life there, like he thought in 1988. But she will be upset that she'll never see her father again. And Josh will not care. So is this the opportunity that Josh finally has to escape the family he's been running from the whole entire series? That's a very good question. Sierra, huh? Maya Schmidt is Sierra. Who the computer told them is a key to getting them home. But I'm still a little confused. When we met Petra, she spoke German and had a locket with a picture of a woman with long dark hair and sunglasses who Scott magically recognized as Maya. I know that woman. That's Maya Schmidt. I was supposed to have a job interview with her the day the sinkhole opened up. Is that your... Mutter. She's your mom. Okay, uh, where is she? Is she here? Uh, wo ist sie? Where are you from? Wo ist Zuhaisel? Here. Here? No, as in... You mean... In this place? How did a military barracks get to 10,000 BC? Wait... Did you... You totally understood what I said, didn't you? You speak English, Petra? Please tell me who your mother is. If you help me find my mother, I'll tell you everything I know. 
So Petra started off being coy and manipulative, and I know that they did that just to buy time for the end of the season so that they could sort of pick up the thread of Petra in the next season. But my big question is not about where Petra came from or where she's going. My question is, how old is Petra? When they meet her, she has a teddy bear, and she didn't know that she was allergic to peanuts. But now they're letting her go out looking for a beacon all alone. It's no shock that she got kidnapped because she's a kid and the dart made her nap. But my question is, is she a kid? Is she a teen? Like, what's going on with this character? That's a very good question. And now we'll dig in to the last moments of the show. Is the future of everyone resting on Ty? It shouldn't be, but I think it might be. He is set to become a messiah figure in the show, because if we refer back a few podcast episodes to Nietzsche's doctrine of eternal recurrence, and yes, I may have said Nietzsche wrong, events will repeat themselves, and there's nothing that we can do to stop that. But Christian philosophers refuted this with the idea of free will. Ty may have a chance to use his free will to stop the hole from opening altogether. But is Ty prime in 2021 and still growing suicidal? I forgot to tell you that they mentioned that Silas and Para are negotiating peace at another village, so that's why we don't see her. And honestly, do we care about Silas? So now we're looking at a wrinkle here. If Ty stops the hole, he never meets Para, never falls in love, and never, you know, never kind of finds the happiness that he had. But if you'll allow this diversion, recent studies have suggested that there could be something more, that there could be something more to this idea. Researchers at Los Alamos National Laboratory used a quantum computer to develop a simulation of time travel. And in simulations, they've discovered that changes in the past may not affect the present. Their changes were very small scale. So I do think that preventing a sinkhole that displaced tens of thousands of people in time would change the course of the future. But in terms of the paradox of time travel, if you killed your grandmother, you would be dead and you couldn't go back to kill her. They conclude that no matter what you did, the salient events would just recalibrate around you, says honors undergraduate student Jermaine Tobar, who co-wrote a study that supports this idea called Reversible Dynamics with Closed Time-Like Curves and Freedom of Choice, which was published in 2020 in the peer-reviewed journal Classical and Quantum Gravity. Sometimes I can't confidently tell the difference between black and dark blue, but this kid's confidence in his time travel theory is remarkable. But it does seem that La Brea subscribes to this quantum time travel idea because of last season, when Eve and Izzy went back in time for a few minutes to stop Gavin from dying. So in this universe, there is no rule that you can't interact with past you, or that it will break down the space-time continuum, a la Back to the Future. All of this is to say that if the concept of eternal recurrence hangs over the show, then La Brea should continue as a series. That's right. You heard me. What could happen is that each person in the core group of characters will save themselves from falling in the hole, but another family will fall in instead. And we will get to watch that family act out seasons one through three shot for shot because of eternal recurrence. Okay, I'm kidding. We're not going to do shot for shot. They would have different connections and conflicts. But we would know more than they do as they peel back even more layers of things that we don't know yet. But I know, the coffin is in the ground, the headstone is chiseled. Or is it? That's a very good question. Digging Deeper 
Normally, I like to dig deeper into a character at this point in the show, but I think I've covered just about all of them in some way. So with the possibility of Ty being in 2021 and having the potential to save his friends, I wanted to talk about something else, something that we all strive for, purpose. Early in their first meeting, Ty tells Para about his life before the whole. You have a family where you're from? It was just me and my wife. She must miss you. I am not so sure about that. We're divorced. I actually saw her the morning I fell down here. I haven't been feeling so well. I begged her to take me back. Make a go of it one more time. And did she agree? I'm sorry. You know what's funny? Once I knew she was gone for good, I was pretty sure there was nothing left to live for. But this place, it's changed something in me. It's almost like trying to survive has forced me to start living again. Our home can be a wonderful place. It's nice to meet someone from your world who can see beyond its dangers. In the cushy 2021 lifestyle, without his wife, it was hard for him to find a reason to live. But when living slash surviving becomes your goal, you finally have purpose. When your family is splintered, because you have a drinking problem and you can't get a job as a pilot and half of your family falls into a giant sinkhole, you have a sense of purpose in trying to find them and reunite, like Gavin. When the woman you love slash lust for falls in a hole with a family that you kind of think is your own, but you didn't tell your best friend about it and then you risk yourself for them, it gives you purpose, like Levi. When you are the kids in that family and one of you falls in love with a girl that you saw in a car before you fell through the hole and the other sort of just exists but is tied to the family so you have to keep going, you have purpose like Josh and Izzy. When you have an abusive dad, it doesn't matter where you are. Your sense of purpose is already surviving, like Lily and Veronica. When everyone needs medical attention and you're the only two people who have any medical training or experience, you have a sense of purpose too, like Sam and Riley. And when you're a heroin dealer who loses his mom and falls in love and has no heroin to deal anymore, and it seems like your people need a leader, your responsibility becomes your purpose, along with that baby you're having, like Lucas, and in some ways Veronica. The only character who seems to have not found purpose in 10,000 BC is Scott, who seems to kind of exist in the show as a source of levity and a source of knowledge for the group. And that's a shame, but he's still cool. If falling through a hole has revitalized most characters with a sense of purpose, a goal of living, not just existing, then what would taking the hole away do to all of these characters? In the media reviews. It seems to me like NBC forgot that La Brea was coming back until New Year's Day, but then they hit hard. Screen Rant had two interviews with people affiliated with the show, producer-creator David Applebaum and John Seda, who portrays Sam. For Applebaum, it felt more like a victory lap of sorts, but one that's deserved for reaching the end of a story he wanted to tell. While, you know, certainly disappointing to know that it's ending, it's also, you know, useful in terms of how you craft stories. So the first thing that we figured out as a writing group was, um, you know, where do we want to bring all the characters? And then once we had those ideas, we could really craft all the stories around that. So, you know, not a lot of shows don't get that luxury. A lot of shows, they just end and then they weren't able to write to to good endings. And then the audience is frustrated. But I don't no one in the audience will feel frustrated by this ending. Um, I think 
the season, the series finale is our best episode we've ever done. And let's be honest, some will feel frustrated. If they wrap the show up with a nice bow, I will be upset. If they leave it open, others will be upset. So I appreciate his optimism, but I encourage you as a fan to temper your expectations, please. Seda was high energy and also full of spirit, recounting his time with La Brea. I felt from the start like there was something really special and unique about this show. And I still believe that. If it were to somehow continue, that would be fantastic. But at least we got the story, you know, beginning and end. I'm really proud of being part of this. The audio was cut weird to make it a shorter clip, but he does seem genuinely appreciative of his time and work. I don't know that we could say the same for Natalie Z, who seemed to cut and run with the bad news of last year. TV Line reports that Z's role will be sharply reduced, and some have said that her scenes were short and done with a green screen in L.A. She did not join the cast in Australia. Z may be the most sought-after cast member for other projects. She's popped up in so many things in recent years that she may have needed to keep her options open for the future, with the show going away eventually. Not to mention, it seems like fans of the show absolutely hate her character. I understand why in many ways, but who among us is perfect? The best news here is that she won't be the white savior that my other podcast co-host thought that she would be. TV Line also reports that Josh, Riley, and Para are no longer series regulars for the final season due to actor availability issues. Applebaum seems okay with this. Quote, I think we've been able to hold on to what the heart of the show has always been, which is about family trying to get back to each other. And he's not wrong. Half of the family being missing and in different places in time will create the issue of getting them back together. But also don't forget, they were together at a point. But that just wasn't enough for them. They need to get back to the future. And that concludes today's episode of the La Brea Prevea. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with me. If you like what you're listening to, you can rate the show someplace. And if you have any questions or ideas, you can reach out via email at yallheardpod at gmail.com. That's the email address for the parent podcast of this show, which is called Y'all Heard. If you have a dollar to spare, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash yallheard. Otherwise, enjoy yourself, and don't try to charge your phone from your french fries. <laughs>